Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Help get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's always wished the check stop had a drive through, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> man, around the time that that broke, I had a couple different people text that to me, and I think I responded to each one with, that's domestic terrorism. <laughs> um, I can only assume it's, you know, some Oklahoma fan, you know, upset that these types of things exist in the state of Texas on his way up uh, up the highway. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, who would do that to such an institution um, while they rebuild the check stop? If you're not familiar, a car drove into the uh, the front of the check stop. Seems no one was hurt, thankfully. I think um, the guy seemed apologetic. I think the story was he put it into drive instead of reverse and panicked and hit the gas look look I, i've i've gotten a, a, a lap full of kolache or, or clobanesque uh and, and my my uh, ch- uh, czech friends will surely correct my pronunciation but meet kolache um and, and been too excited to uh just dive in where i wasn't fully aware of my surroundings i get that i do i truly do i hope when they repair it they also save a couple dollars uh for the nil sponsorship of a stealth check because it's crazy that hasn't happened up to this point. She is the check stop. I mean, there there's a lot of missed opportunities there, I think, but we're not going to get into like the debate of which of the Kalachi places is better because they're all good, right? It's just kind of a preferential thing on what you like out of them. We're not here to talk about sweet delectables. We're here to talk about sweet victories. Texas on mm. the hardwood got two big wins. One resulted in a conference uh, title. One just resulted in some really fun bragging rights on the internet. Uh, a lot of um, interesting things happened on the diamond this weekend. Uh, we'll obviously close the show out with some down the 40 and bang the drum. Godzilla Tron, all of that fun stuff we do at the end. But let's start, as we usually do, with a championship moment. Let's pause. The Texas women under Vic Schaefer. What is it? Fourth year under Vic Schaefer? Third, third, third. Ahead of schedule. I gave him an extra year. Number 15 women's basketball wins the Big 12 regular season conference, a regular season title uh, for the first time since 2004, Kyle, 2004. This is the program's 13th conference championship. They were on the court uh, today, I believe, Tuesday, as we're recording this, to cut down the nets, get their piece of history. The Moody Center was good to them, and so they want to commemorate that victory. The big win for them, they failed the Baylor. Couldn't get it done against Baylor to secure a solo conference championship, uh, but they did absolutely put the boots to Kansas State to make sure they got a share of it, 80-53 to 53 in that one. Yeah, they improved to 19-0, the stat we've been watching when holding their opponent under 60 points. There's a formula, it works. Um, they actually just really started this off and left no doubt after the Baylor loss surely left a sour taste, and Vic went to the media calling some of his, his team out, you know, expecting more energy and, and expecting better with a chance to close out at home in senior night and unable to do that. Um, I think, uh, I think you saw the team re- reacted the first two quarters. They held Kansas state to single digits, nine points and then five points. Um, 
wild. Like to do 14 points and a half in in, in conference is is absurd. Um, but they did it all right. They they had the rebounding advantage, 36-21, 15 offensive, 19 to two advantage in second chance points. You saw some of the usual suspects there. Shayla Gonzalez got her 21. Taylor Jones a big 17. Uh, Deanna Gaston almost a double double, 16 and nine. Shea Holly 10 points, five assists, like the uh, the second point guard there. And then Roy Horman. Seem to really be focusing on getting everyone else involved in their last uh, game of the regular season. Twelve assists, her fifth time this season with double-digit assists. They uh, they left no doubt in this one. I, I like to see it. Absolutely. And for their efforts, especially Rory, right? Great segue. Uh, Rory Harmon and Vic Schaefer brought home some hardware. Vic named the Big 12 Coach of the Year, while Rory Harmon got the Defensive Player of the Year, led the co- or second in the conference in steals, led the team in charges taken, which is something that we feel absolutely um, valid in tracking. That's been something we've tracked now for like three or four years. Glad that she uh, is able to uh, hold that down for the Longhorns. Literally hold it down. Um, I think, and and many others uh, think she was robbed of player of the year. I mean, I think she could be a finalist for a national player of the year, like top five in that category. So it's crazy. Shocking the Big 12 Um, coaches voted for the wrong person out of personal feelings. It it felt like a bit of a lifetime achievement award for a really good player, but a player whose season wasn't as good. Just for perspective, right? Um, For her offensive exploits, her defense no one's questioning that phenomenal, phenomenal effort. Um, but she was also, uh, you know, first team Big 12 and somehow got nine out of 10 votes. Someone didn't even vote her all Big 12. Okay, whatever. Um, the only other player in the country averaging 12 points, seven rebounds, and five assists is Caitlin Clark, who's uh, Iowa's guard, who legitimately looks like, you know, WNBA superstar day one. Like, she's she's unbelievably good. Um, she's really fun to watch if you haven't been. But... Um, she is going to win the national player of the year uh, award and and Harmon is is you know putting up similar numbers right she's fourth in the nation in assists besides Caitlin Clark the only other two people ahead of her are averaging 7 and 5.8 uh Rory's out here averaging double digits right so it's it's the total offensive package that was kind of again then you see she's the best defensive player maybe they just didn't want to give her all the awards i don't know but i think the biggest one right is and this goes also to Vic as coach of the year they started 3 and 5 that was when Rory Harmon was out she came back. They went 20 and three down the stretch. Like that's you almost, you know, that's as good of a case for Vic as coach of the year, managing through all that as it is for Rory Harmon, uh, you know, her plaudits, right. It's, it's deserved there. But yeah, I mean, Vic really managed some injuries all throughout. They had seven active players for the Baylor game. Just nuts. Just absolutely incredible. Uh, the job he did. We said it before. We said it again. Uh, Texas was going to be a different team with Rory Harmon back in it. But te- Texas players have 45 combined misses from starters due to injury. Right? Absolutely ridiculous run. Uh, for her troubles, for their troubles, Gianna Gaston and Shayla Gonzalez were first and second team all Big 12 uh, selections respect- respectively. Uh, Shay Gonzalez also was named the newcomer of the year, while it Nina Muhammad got her shine to the all-freshman team. The ladies, because they locked up that number one seed, now get to face the winner of Texas Tech-Kansas State as the number one seed. They get to chill and take on the winner of the uh, 8-9 game, and then the winner of that game will get the winner of Oklahoma State and West Virginia. On the men's side, we're, again, unable to get things done uh, completely on the hardwood. 
the most obnoxious game on the most obnoxious floor, 75 to 73, which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I was frustrated throughout most of it. The turnovers were annoying. Texas was really unable to like capitalize on a bad game from Mike Miles, but then came back and put a big exclamation point on a, a really good regular season at the mood, absolutely putting the boots to Kansas 75 to 59. Yeah, I just want to go back one one little bit there. It wasn't just a bad game from Mike Miles. I mean, they they forced him into five turnovers to one point. That's unheard of. Um, the guy, because of this game, dropped from the second place to third place in the Big 12 scoring leaders. He's a, um, a an NBA prospect, you know, one of the better guard prospects in the country. The, uh, a couple guys stepped up and went out of their skull, and, and uh, Emmanuel Miller and Damian Bob both putting up season highs in his stead. Um, so it was unfortunate, and they shot 62% in the first half. Like, there was just a couple things that were anomalies in this game. Uh, when Texas forces 22 turnovers and has a 27-7 advantage in points off turnovers and still loses, just one of those games. Um, won't hark on that, though, because, again, they win that game. They win the Big 12 championship with the performance against Kansas. But um, it didn't happen, and they responded. And I like to see that, right? Like, knowing that probably a little down that you didn't get to um, have a shared piece of the Big 12 championship uh, or at least have that on the table, but still came out and just throttled Kansas. I mean, plain and simple. They've, they've now won four of their last six and all of the last three in Austin against Kansas. There's, uh, you know, the... the decades-long fear of Kansas basketball while they're still very good and it still certainly should exist. I think Texas is is finally getting on the right side of this one where they can show up and um, two of those in that span have been big wins, right? One of those yeah. in... in uh, in, in fog, but um, yeah, I mean, this was this was a big win against what most people assume, you know, in the last regular season game of the year is the best team in the country, right? They're they're likely to be the number one overall seed based on uh, their strength of schedule just being bonkers. Their their most quad one wins, all those things, right? This is a really good Kansas team that's been playing really really well down the stretch. You know, they they kind of found their their final form here in Texas. No one saw this one coming, at least with that scoreline. So all credit to the Texas team. They, they were flat out phenomenal. It's probably one of the best, like the best games of the season. I think it's probably pretty safe to say that. Like, I don't think they've played a more complete game on either end uh, and survived a couple of counter punches from KU, which is nice. Uh, and, for their troubles, Texas has now won four of their last six against Kansas. We have to pause. The men's awards um, came out today or came out uh, ahead of this podcast. But uh, Marcus Carr got first team All Conference honors. Serge Barry Rice was named the Sixth Man of the Year and named to the third team uh, All and the, the third team All Conference and the All Newcomer team. Timmy Allen. I think he did not get the award, but I also think we have to talk about Rodney Terry's job this year, getting Texas to this point yeah. uh, amid amid all of the foolishness and craziness he had to deal with. Uh, we were concerned. You can go back and listen to the post Chris Beard firing podcast in those first couple of real shaky games. We were worried that this was going yeah. to be a season that could have been a big what if season. And I think there's still some what if to it. But the simple fact that Texas is a two seed in the conference, uh, in the conference tournament and likely a two seed in the NCAA tournament after everything they've been through. Rod, big ups to Rodney Terry. If it was anyone other than Jerome Tang who won it, a little bit salty, but Tang, you know, first year in Kansas State, no real expectations at all for that team. I mean, like preseason pick towards the very bottom of the conference and then to, you know, almost finish just outside the top 10 and, and um, you know, in the top four of the hardest conference in, in the country by exponents. You have to give both of those coaches some credit, but I, I like it's it's 
pretty unparalleled, right? There's the Steve Fisher, you know, analog of, of taking over the Michigan team in what the early nineties, I think, um, or even late eighties and, uh, and, and, you know, coming at the end of the season and taking them all the way to a postseason to a national championship. That that's crazy for sure. But you know, for the way that this happened, um, and the circumstances kind of that Terry was foisted into it's it's there's not a lot of of and certainly in the last 20 years of things to compare it to and and certainly in that case the success um that he was he was able to have and so yeah you're right all, all kudos and plot is he went 16 and 7 uh multiple top 10 wins um I mean it just a lot of credit deserved in in an absolute um you know, tough one, but I, I don't want to miss also the Marcus Carr being named to the first team. Like Texas basketball has had great players, but they just haven't had a good collective unit in a few years. We know that um, it was a little bit uh, stark to see the the number printed. It was that he's the first since Isaiah Taylor uh, in 2015-16 season to make a first team all Big 12. You had some guys, you know, in the second team, third team, honorable mention for sure, but first team. Uh, so to a lot of credit to Marcus Carr, who, you know, for most of this year has been the best player, unquestioned player on the team, one of the best players in any given night in the conference, um, has had a little bit of a regression here at the end of the last couple games of the season, hoping he can get like he did last year, that March, uh, March form, uh, and, and get hot at the right time here, especially with, with Hunter playing better. If we get both of them at the same time, that would be, uh, that would be great. But I, yeah, I mean, it, just wanted to say the final piece is they finished the, the season of the moon, both of these teams, right. With phenomenal, phenomenal years. I think combined, it was uh, 31 and three, across the two teams, the men themselves, 16 and one, three and O against top 10. You make that if you top 11, it's four and O 11 quad one wins this year. I mean, they, they just, this was a great season in a really tough circumstance made harder by even tougher circumstances that this team came together, leaned on their senior leadership on senior night, Timmy Allen, Kristen Bishop, Marcus Carr, Dylan DeSue, Jabari Rice, all played their last game at the mood. And, and what a way to send it out. Right. Um, what if they could have got that Kansas State one back where it was kind of that weird one where we didn't know how good Kansas State was and they scored 100, right? Um, what if they get that one back and they go undefeated and also probably win a share of the Big 12? But, you know, you can play what-ifs all day. 16-1 um, is pretty dang good against the conference uh, of, of this caliber. So love, love, love the Moody, everything about it. You know, 17 consecutive sellouts to open this thing up. It's a new era, and it's it's truly, it's, it's different. The mood has been immaculate all year and a part of big part of the reason why Texas uh, is going to be a two seed in the big 12 tournament, their highest seed since 2011, they get to play the winner of the Bedlam game. Number seven, Oklahoma state, number 10 OU this Thursday at 6 PM. We'll obviously have updates for you on that next week on the diamond. It continues to be a very clear rebuilding year for Texas. We'll go ahead and say it like that. Um, the Augie series, Texas dropped it uh, this weekend, had a tight loss on Friday, actually had a pretty solid outing on Saturday, and then uh, after retaking the lead late on Sunday, and, or after retaking the lead late and then giving up a tie to send it to extras, Texas allowed a walk-off, like, whose ball is this situation in the bottom of the 11th, two outs on the board. It was just a frustrating way to drop a series, and that just feels like very indicative of how this 
year has felt, especially, you know, this is like the second, what I would classify an embarrassing way to lose a Sunday. We saw that against Vandy where defensive miscues allowed kind of Vandy to put the boots to Texas. This one um, in a very winnable series and a way to build some momentum. Texas just couldn't get it done and, and kind of got inside his own head and, and it cost him the series. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, two things, right? They they out hit Cal State Fullerton in this one 32-24 for the series. Like, it's rare that you lose a series where you have more hits. In every game, you have more hits. Um, but they did have 33 strikeouts and left 25 runners on base. That's, I mean, that's your stat. That's how you lose. Um, the four and seven starts, since they, they did lose two of those, is the worst since 2012. You're right, Gerald. The, I can look at this two ways, right? Like, it's a young team and they're close and so there's some optimism with this giant home stretch that they have i think 14 games coming up that they can maybe gel something this the spurs have the rodeo road trip and then you know where they leave and a lot of times the team is made in that this is the opposite this is an extended homestead so can they forge something uh during this time use the home field advantage in a, in a pretty you know favorable schedule we'll see um but four and seven looks bad right it, it really does two top 10 teams in there but still um you know they they they've lost uh you know three four of those seven by one run right they have two two run losses uh, multiple of those games out of that seven where they you know gave it up at the end um couple walk offs in there i mean it's tough right like i'm not, i'm not making excuses by any stretch of the imagination um it needs to be better and and you know this team needs to mature real quick right i think that the biggest stats um we we knew looking at the fielding that uh that was going to be something that was tough to replace we talked about in our preview we've talked about it multiple times um they came into this series 205th in the nation which is which is bad there's 295 teams that are that are uh eligible that's that's lower quartile there um with a 968 fielding they're all the way up to 136th so not good I'd say even bad, but better. The ERA is actually we an area we watched, especially out of the bullpen. Um, hasn't been that bad. They're three three thirty six ERA is twenty eighth, but only thirty seven of their forty seven runs have been earned, which goes back to that fielding, right? That's a that's your ten unearned runs. Basically, there's your difference between two or three uh, wins on the board. And then where I really kind of worry most about this team right now is the two thirty five team batting average. That is currently two hundred and fifty first in the nation out of remember two hundred and 95 like that's that's bad that's 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 un- unthinkable uh if you're gonna do that your era better be uh in the twos you better just be the greatest assembly of arms of all time um or you better hit as many home runs as they did last year you better have something exceptional if you're only getting on base two out of every 10 so and then when you get on base you leave them there so it's frustrating there's a lot of things to work on some fundamentals you know some communication stuff um that you want to see cleaned up um there were a couple pitchers who who have i think been the bright spots right i think zane morehouse got a, his second win in this one charlie hurley came in and just lights out in that second game uh for four innings to get his first career save seeing back-to-back homers from homers from dylan uh campbell and porter brown i'd love to see that a lot more that's kind of the power in the heart of the the offense so um you know peyton powell seems to be coming on actually doing some good things so he'll probably get some more looks maybe found something there we just it is not the best start. We knew it was going to be rough, but even I think the most pessimistic among us probably would have picked a slightly better start than four and seven. You told me that the worst start in a in a decade is not a great way to open it. Four and seven as of nine oh five p.m. Actually, I say that no, it is it is five, five and seven, five baby. Five and seven. 
They just <laughs> went final against uh, against Sam Houston State. Actually, a come from behind win to go seven and five over Sam Houston State, which feels great. We'll see if they can pull close to five hundred uh, on Wednesday, the day you're listening to this. They've got Mercer tonight. Before um, they've got like this fourteen game homestand that gets them set up for conference play. And in order to really feel good about that run, I feel like they've got to go like ten and four in that, like eight, nine and five to really feel good going into conference play better it's got to be better like legitimately they need like 12 wins out of this it's it's not i mean it is it it's a quite easy i'm trying to be nice because you can lose any game but sam houston mercer a three-game series against manhattan two-game series against north dakota state three-game series against new orleans and then incarnate warrior before opening up tech in their opener um of, of the big 12 so you know even if you go one and two against Tech, which I'd love to win that series, you got to win double digits out of that 14. You have to get to 10. You just, you, you absolutely have to. Um, so, yeah. I, it, I'm unwilling to call anything easy after having to come from behind to beat Sam Houston State, Kyle. That's where I'm at with this baseball team. Hey, it's a LeBaron Johnson looked, you know, looked pretty good. Uh, got six innings in, in this one. Peyton Powell, my boy, I mentioned, looking good three for four in this one. Maybe they're finding something there. Uh, Mitchell Daly getting two ribbies i don't know i i i just um hurley got a second multi-inning save in this one three inning save uh so maybe that's the secret maybe the secret is just get a starter to five innings let hurley be a second starter for four innings and uh eke together a couple of runs uh with you know whichever one player not even two one player is hot that game of the bat in his hand we'll see that's maybe that's the formula Hopefully that formula carries out. I mean, I would love for Texas to go 14 and 0 over these next 14 games. That feel really good because you know you'd end up with you'd end up at 18 and 7 heading into the uh, heading into conference play. So it feels like that could be a way to go. So that's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Let's start. Let's stay on the diamond to start and flip over to the softball team. Uh, the, te- the ladies were on the diamond hosting the Longhorn Invitational. A lot of uh, mascot and school-themed tournaments to <laughs> open the season. Longhorn Invitational this last weekend went undefeated in the weekend, including a pair of wins over number 24 Louisiana, 6-2 on Friday and 8-3 on Sunday. Big weekend for the ladies. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned um, Estelle Check. You got a great one from her. Sophia Simpson looked good in, in her two uh Two wins. Um, Courtney Day came up big. Uh, had a three-run home run uh, and and I think and a two-run home run against Louisiana. So there, you're seeing some offensive weapons start to develop. Uh, it was all kind of yeah, Scott and Leanne good in the beginning. It's nice to see you know some of the the other names step up. And and Mike White is is you know a pitching guru. That's what he is. That's who he is. He takes good players, turns them into great players. Takes great players, uh, pitchers specifically, and turns them uh, into world class pitchers. And and he seems to uh, have something with the staff with uh, Mac Morgan, and Sophia Simpson, Estelle Check. Um, you know, it, it seems like the the, the pitching and, and and certainly uh, Satali Gutierrez, who I should mention after losing her opening game. Of the year uh, has won five straight and, and looked uh, looked solid in all of them. So, um, you know, I, I think the softball team is in a in a good spot. Um, well, <laughs> I don't think they're in a good spot. They've won nine straight, uh, so fifteen of their last sixteen dating back to, to middle of February. So, I, I you know, I, I know they're in a good spot. They'll have a little tougher tournament coming up this weekend and a chance to to prove they're for real. Um, but they're they're looking good for a very young team. 
they're starting off really well, right? Last year started slow, got hot at the end with a more senior team. Didn't necessarily expect a young team to come out of the gates. Fuego. So like Kyle mentioned, another um, Texas theme, the Bevo Classic this weekend. They've got UT Arlington on Wednesday before that, but then have uh, Wisconsin, number nine, Alabama, and Texas State coming to Austin for the Bevo Classic this weekend for them to get an opportunity to, to really show off and show out on the diamond and prove that this uh, win streak has not been a fluke. On the track, the number one women's track team, number eight men's track team, won 10 events at the Longhorn Invitational. The indoor competitors actually did not compete with this one because they're coming off of that championship meet uh, last week where they both uh, performed well, but potentially underperformed as well. most of, the, most of the wins came in the field events and the distance, which is great. Uh, they'll close out the indoors at the national championships in Albuquerque, New Mexico on Friday and Saturday. Number eight women's golf finishes fifth in the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate. So you got to let her cry a little bit. The field included 11 of the top 25 teams, four of the top 10. Andy, who uh, finished fourth in the uh, individuals in that one. There's never a time that I don't want to make Darius Rucker jokes, but I'm just, you know, I'm going to let that wagon wheel roll on out, um, and we'll, we'll keep it going. We're not going to look back through a cracked rear view. Number two slash three, depending on which team you're focusing on, swimming and diving at the Zone D Diving Championship. So it's just the platforms. Uh, this week, Nick Harris won the men's one meter. Haley Hernandez won the women's three meter. Texas had two others qualify for the NCAA championships, which will be qualifications will continue through the week. The championships will be coming up uh, next week for the the ladies on the 15th through the 18th, and then the week following uh, the 22nd through the 25th. Number 10, women's tennis wins at Rice 6 to one, won the doubles, uh, won five of six singles, so a solid outing for the ladies as well on the on the hard surface. And we saved this for last because it felt like um, we needed to talk about it and give it a moment. But football, spring practice, it's already time for spring practice. Uh, and we have our storylines, Kyle. The thing about spring practice are the storylines. And so for uh, Steve Sarkeesian spoke to the media and it's already annoying. Let's just go ahead and say it like that. Some of the stories that came out early, you and I had several conversations and we were assuming that Quinn Ewers would be the one with the previously undisclosed injury. Come to find out Xavier Worthy was playing with a broken hand uh, for for a big chunk of the season, which may explain some of his issues with drops. Uh, Sark also said that all positions are open for battle, including Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning, which everybody interpolate, in, uh, interpreted as a Quinn Ewers-Arch Manning story only. Uh, all five-star early enrollees are listed on the, the 2D for the depth chart, and there were a laundry list of other injuries that will keep people out for the remainder. Kyle, of all of the narratives, of all the things that you're watching and the things that we're told to be watching by national pundits, what are you watching? What's your what's your story coming out of spring practice? Well, I mean, the, the passing game, right? And that can cheat a little to encompass all three of those, right? I think there were, <coughs> there were some rumors. I assumed it was just internet scuttlebutt, but that there was pictures apparently circulating grainy, you know, uh, JFK shoot. film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of, of X supposedly, uh, Xavier Worthy supposedly in some kind of sling on the, on the hand. So I guess confirming, you know, the, the internet conspiracies one in a thousand actually sometimes hit. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing him healthy with the full suite 
of complementary tools um, should be really nice. And and you know we're not really calling it a quarterback competition. I think Arch is going to push, and that's what he does. He's going to be good. He's going to be solid, but he's a freshman, right? And I think Quinn is is going to gain from that and be pushed. I think with the the reverse Samson, uh, when he cut his mullet, he's now reaching his full uh, adult <laughs> powers. And so you know, and and you know, two of the. Two of the big receiver recruits being at number two on the depth chart in uh, Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore also in there at the slot at number two. Uh, it's exciting. They're pushing the guys ahead of them. But remember, you know, in addition to Xavier Worthy not being recruited away by anyone any given week and no matter what his social media is were deleted or not deleted, he is um, going to be one of our top receivers without a doubt, without a doubt. Um but Jordan Whittington is back, and Isaiah Nayor, he's not going to be, you know, still going as he's he's rehabbing during spring, but um, will be back in time for season next year. And you're going to see, uh, you know, the, uh, the the big Georgia uh, transfer come in and, and, you know, be an impact player right away. And then you have this bevy of really talented young guys who are hungry to get snaps, to see the field, to get the ball in their hands. You don't think Jonte Cook wants to do what his boy uh, in, in A&M, you know, did and come immediately be the guy on, on a, you know, a team. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to get as many looks that is Evan Stewart, but he's a, you know, in a much deeper pool of talent around him, but you know, he, he wants that and he has the same confidence in himself. And so um, I think it's a loaded room and there's no reason that they shouldn't be very, very successful. If Ewers takes the step forward, if the receivers all kind of gel and get together, Jatavian Sanders also in that group, of course. So um, for me watching over the spring and when we get to spring game, it's just seeing that, that some cohesion in that group, seeing some guys take some step forward, seeing some maturity from some players, um, you know, without Bijan and Rocha on the running game still is going to be there and going to be a big part of it. But the passing game is going to be heavy. So, um, you know, seeing who steps up and, and uh, while the running game gets its legs under it uh, and, you know, the passing game has to take those steps forward. If Jonte Cook has Evan Stewart-like volume this year, something either went really, really well or something went really, really poorly for Texas. Like those are like those are the two options, right? It's either like he ha- he's the best receiver on campus and we had to play him, or the wide receiver room caught on fire and he's the only one that got out. Like those are all the only two uh, outcomes for that. I'm actually watching the linebackers. I think that's a group that mm. um, one of all the groups that I would normally watch. Like there are major injuries, like Jonathan Brooks. And Robinson both injured, right? Hudson Robertson on the offensive line both injured. Um, Gilbo is injured. Uh, so like Jalen Catalan is limited. So of the groups that like I really have questions about, the one that I think we'll get a good picture of is probably the linebacker group because Jalen Ford coming back and a hold down that middle linebacker spot. But outside of that, there's not really a proven guy on campus. And so is it going to be one of the three uh, players? I say three, four players technically, but if we see a ton of uh, um, the former walk-on this year, again, something either went really, really well, like he had the, the biggest uh, level up since, I don't know, pick your favorite Rocky Balboa training <laughs> uh, training montage, or things went really, really poorly. But like then you have Anthony Hill coming on, who could be a plug-and-play guy. You have uh, Leo yeah. Leifau already on campus, who um, we, we have a source that people were concerned about his weight, and our source said um, never concerned about – or his dad – the source said his dad was like, get him five meals and he'll, be, he'll hit his weight, right? Uh, so like there is, um, 
like the linebacker group, I think we're going to come out of fall knowing what Texas has. And that's such a pivotal group in this defensive alignment that that kind of the 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 group, the, the look that Pete Krakowski wants to play, the linebackers are really make or break for it. And so I think knowing who's going to be standing alongside Jalen Ford, I think with smart money on who's going to be standing next to Jalen Ford is either Anthony Hiller or, or Mo Blackwell. You know, I think he Mo Blackwell is really playing the um, DeMarvian Overshone card really, really well. He's a guy who came in. It's kind of a tweener. Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? He's going to play linebacker, it looks like. And me and DeMarvin Overshone turned that into an NFL career. He ran a faster 40-yard dash than Roshan Johnson at the combine, showing that he can, he's can. he got the speed to cover sideline to sideline. So I think, long story short, linebackers is who I'm watching, and I want to see what that group turns out to be at the end of the at the end of the spring. Can I give one other one? I know I, I'm cheating here, Do but it. now Jump you in. got me thinking defense. I'm really interested. Obviously, I want to see a pass rush that better show up from somewhere, but I'm really interested in the defensive backs. Who's going to get the reps, right? Um, we know Catalan's still, you know, a little bit limited, but, you know, his talent can step in and be an All-American. Like, legitimately, he's, he's that good. Um, and then you look at the guys coming back, right? Jaron Thompson, I think, I think locked up that free safety spot. I don't think anyone's going to be able to pry that away Come from on, him. Bud. I believe. I believe Ryan Watts also locked down, you know, one of those corner spots with his play. But you have a lot of guys, a deep room, a lot of guys who are looking for reps around there, right? Um, you know, Jody Barron did some really, really good things, and, and he's going to want to be looking to start. But, you know, I've heard really good stuff already about Gavin Holmes coming in um, with his experience at, at, at Vanderbilt as well. Um, you know, in, in you just... You, you can't say enough about what Terrence Brooks did with injuries around him and, and him coming in as a freshman and, and being, you know, having having some composure there. Jalen Gilbo's out uh, with some injuries, but he's going to want to be in the mix. You know, there's there's some there's some really good uh, uh, Keaton Crawford, you know, know the talents there. Can he can he step up and, and find a place on the field? It's going to be interesting, right? I think the. A lot of these guys might end up cross-training, and it's just about getting the best five or six on the field wherever they are. So, you know, it'll be very curious to see. There's a lot of talent in this group. There's there's some depth, and there's some actual competition for places, I think, during the spring and well into the uh, summer and fall. All right, Gerald, let's take a look at the world now through some burnt orange lenses, and let's keep it football, next-level football. In fact, the NFL Combine uh, has mostly come and gone. Um, Pro days still to go. I think Texas is Thursday. But the biggest story, I think, out of the Combine and where we probably want to start with this is Bijan Robinson, right? I, I, I think... I said it in my bang the drum last week that you got to watch out for Roshan. And, and I, I think Roshan did himself some favors, right? I think he he looked great. Um, but Bijan is one of those guys that everyone, you know, in the NFL, it was a name that was known. In this draft, he's got to be one of the five just most known names and commodities. Every, um, every f- friend I have who's a fan of various NFL teams thinks they have a chance to get him. If he falls to 18, we'll get him. If he's there at 26, he's ours. Um I don't know where he'll go. I really don't. Todd McShay had him in a mock draft, not just in his his talent, but in a mock draft going top 10 this week um, based on his combine performance. And and again, we knew that Bijan in interviews would crush it and say all the right things and be the kind of guy you want to build your franchise around. You know, I've heard uh, Christian McCaffrey comparisons and, and a lot of Saquon Barkley comparisons. And, you know, we got the numbers this week where he he really, I mean, I, I, I don't think he... he 
I don't think he needed to do anything that would just, well, okay, it's actually true because he has such incredible game tape as the reigning Doak Walker and just can do so many things. But it, it didn't hurt. It absolutely helped. I think everyone, he, he, is, he is in much, uh, he's probably the most talked about, you know, offensive player. Of course, you have quarterbacks and things they're trying to figure out. And, you know, one particular Florida quarterback who looks like a freak <laughs> athletically and certainly raised his stock. But I mean, Bijan is the name right now, and it's just a matter of which GM is going to have the stones. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he's a top three pick. Like, he's that good, and he's that uh, well-known. But, I mean, the Combine did nothing but to to make me less sure of where he can go. It just it just made the, uh, the delta on this even wider. I don't put a whole lot of stock in, like, the underwear Olympics, all of it, like the, the running, <laughs> the, like the, the 40s and the jumping and all of that, I think. Um, but one of the things I really like, I, I, because I don't have a great frame of reference for all of what it means, like I'm not a professional talent evaluator, I can't, you know, ooh and ah over Bijan's um, off-tackle drill. Like, the feet looked great, right? But uh, So there's a, this thing called the relative athletic score that they've been putting out for years that kind of blends all of this into a, a composite score out of 10. So like a 1 to 10, basically, on their um, – on, on their performance of the combine. And so, you know, Bijan came in at a 9.81 out of 10. Some uh, folks that were in that range or some comparators, like Saquon Barkley is a guy who gets a lot of comps for Bijan. Saquon put up a 9.97. Ladanian Tomlinson, another guy who has um, some comparisons, some loose comparisons to him, 9.79. Reggie Bush, 9.63. Adrian Peterson, 9.64. So, like, Edron James is one that I've actually seen floated around for Bijan as well. Edron James is one of the rare perfect 10s on the RAF. Edron James, if you, if you are not, like, someone who knows how good Edron James was coming out of college, like, that guy was a freak of nature. But um, they're absolutely, like, Bijan is the dude, and he'll continue to be the dude. I think he... I didn't think there's a way for him to improve his standing going into the combine. And he absolutely did somehow, but like Bijan, uh, Roshan actually had a great outing too, an eight, eight Oh nine, 8.09 out of 10 for him, which is great. Like, I think some of his athleticism was in question. I think by, by some folks, um, I think that was the thing that everybody knew he was a character guy. Everybody knew he was a do the dirty work on the field guy, but like, is he the athletic, the, is the athleticism there? His 40 left a little bit to be desired. I think by, by everybody, um, he actually, I mentioned it earlier, like Demo was faster than him by like, I don't know, five, 10, like uh, minimally faster than him, like two hundredths of a second. Right. But, um, I think he'll probably end up, improving it hopefully at the pro day but we'll see uh but i i, I was impressed with the the texas outing i mean demo had a great score uh moro jomo had a great score like texas did i think texas could have a bunch of guys on nfl rosters next year i'll just say one other thing right so for roshan johnson when you look at Bijan with his 446 there was a stumble in there and and but still when he was moving at full speed his 10 yard split was just a little bit behind devin a chain who was off the charts to his credit but was also weighed in at 30 pounds lighter than Bichon, right? So they run almost the same 40. I guess there's a second difference. That's not, you know, marginal. Um, but A-Chain putting up Olympic-style numbers, but he's he's literally, you know, 30 pounds lighter than both of those guys. And in the 10-yard splits, the top five, including A-Chain, the top five running backs, two of them were Texas running backs. None of the other three guys were over 190, both Texas runners over 200. I think Bijan coming in around 215. So um, these are 
these are guys who are built for speed, built for, you know, coming in, taking hits, built for doing kind of the all-purpose. They're both backs who, you know, one obviously will go in the first round. I, I hope Roshan did enough. And with his interviews, of course, enough to, you know, be a, a round four, round five kind of guy who you come in and have a leader and a, and a player. But you saw he's got some upside there, too. Of course, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that as a, a bigger um, – Demarvian Overshone uh, bump than 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 a Roshan knock, but uh, the the player I think for me when you talk about Raz scores who who did the most probably the player who is the of the five Texas players the other being we haven't talked about Keandre Coburn but of the five um, the one who's probably the least likely to get drafted when he came in and had the most to prove um, was more Ojimo and he he comped to you know his Raz score comped to former Jets first round pick Sheldon Richardson who played eight years in the NFL from 2013 to 2021 um, he has long arms so we thought the bench might not be great he got the third most for for defensive tackles um, was in the top uh, amongst both of the jumping uh, events looked good and fluid in his drills um, he's always kind of been a tweener, and so it'll it'll really matter on where NFL GMs see him if it's probably in a four three system. But who who takes the chance on him? Um, but he feels like one of those guys, like a Puna Ford, you know, type that we've had over the years. That were uh, some GMs going to look like a genius with him. I could see Moro being a a late round, maybe sixth, maybe seventh round pick that someone gets. And then, you know, by his second year, he's in a regular rotation, um, putting up good numbers, right? Chuck Amenahu, a vital piece to that, some really good defenses. Um, that 49ers defense in particular, like th- there have been some Texas players who uh, probably should have gone higher. And, and I think, you know, Ojomo fits that vein of production will 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 be there. Um, it's just a matter of someone sees that and gives him a draft pick. There's an opportunity there. I think it might happen for him. Again, I think there's there's uh, he may not be an early draft pick. He may be one of those high priority free agent guys. But I think he's going to land, and I think he's going to be a guy who we're talking about in a couple of years of like, yeah, he did really really well for himself. All right. Speaking of doing well for themselves, Gerald, a couple of former Longhorns have gone on to uh, to get get the professional thing going. Right. We know Peyton Stearns was. Back in Austin uh, this past week for the inaugural ATX Open, in addition to being honored for her college exploits last year, but played in her first WTA professional or first WTA match as a professional. Um, it, it was nice synergy that it was the inaugural one in Austin. And with the home crowd kind of fueling her behind, she made a run all the way to the quarterfinals. It was a strong field as well. 13 of the top 75 players for a 250, which is, I think, the you take out the grand slams like the fourth tier of professional events so you don't always get the top players but people want to play in austin um another uh professional uh who's crushing it 2019 all-american big 12 player of the year agat lenny um which you've probably heard gerald and i butcher her name for years on this podcast but uh won the florida's national charity classic uh, the first event of the Epson Tour season. Came back from six shots to force a playoff and then birdied the playoff hole to win, uh, take that one home. She's making up for all the times that we butchered her name by winning that one. <laughs> I appreciate that. We've we've inspired someone. Uh, and then speaking of taking it home, Kat Osterman brought home her second daughter. Um, looks like she's got a pretty strong right arm on her. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That would be class of 20... 20- <laughs> 41 the future she has you know we'll have one before then i think her her older daughter is is like 10 or no no no, maybe not that old it's in the seven eight somewhere in that range but uh class of 2041 is the number gerald i want you to focus on that's bananas um now i have to calculate like i think i've got kids that are 
like I've got a class of 2039, I think, is my youngest one. So, like, just absolutely. Or I guess 2040 is probably more accurate. But, yeah, insane to think about. Those are big numbers, man. Um, Wrapping it up, uh, one one athlete on the 40 who just is crushing it this year. Like, if there is a Longhorn of the Year award, this person is is probably Logan Eggleston's biggest competition right now. Um, Julian Alfred. Uh, named the Big 12 Indoor Performer of the Year for the second consecutive year this week. Uh, We know she'll be competing at Nationals, and she's the favorite to win uh, both of her events. She's posted the best time in the nation in uh, this year, the 200 and, of course, the 60. I just uh, can't get over how good she is. Like, I, I, I will never be as good at anything as Anthony Hamilton is at singing soul and Julian Alfred is at running fast in, you know, shortish distances. Like I have to breathe to survive and I'm not as good as she is at running the 60. Like that's like, I I, I don't breathe as well as she (laughs) runs the 60. It's absolutely insane. The youngest woman to break seven seconds, the, the track and field team at Texas is just absolutely insane. Yeah, she currently holds the all seven of the fastest collegiate 60 meter dashes. Um, Jared, let's take this bad boy home with a little bit of Godzillatron and bang the drum. Starting with Godzillatron, what are you watching? Your giant screen. The Mandalorian's back. It's good. It's fine. People had issues with it. It is what it is. Like, I think my big issue is that like there are people that skipped the book of Boba Fett, and there are like basically two episodes of the Mandalorian sandwiched in to the Boba Fett show. So like people are like, wait, I thought this is how the last season ended. Like, yeah, go watch that other show that Disney wants you to watch. It's fine. Or you could just watch the Mandalorian focus episodes of the Boba Fett, which is like the last three of them, but it is what it is. Um, and then this is the one I really want to talk about. Galaxy Quest. I, I, I don't know if I had an opportunity to talk about Galaxy Quest on the podcast. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, Galaxy Quest uh, is a um, it, it's a comedy that came out in the in the '90s, or late late '90s, early 2000s, uh, starring Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver. Sam Rockwell is in it. Like the cast is just at, um, Alan Rickman, rest in peace, is one of the leads as well. But uh, the the premise is that like. Essentially, the cast of Star Trek, for lack of a better term, like it's it's you know Galaxy Quest was the show. Um, they're they're kind of all burnout old actors doing the doing the. Um like the the com the Comic Con circuit and like they're all that's really how they're making money they're all jaded and burnt out. Um, well, a group of aliens, uh, actual aliens, thinks that the TV show is real, and so they abduct them to help them try to win this space war. And comedy ensues, and it was like. <laughs> It's one of these really like often overlooked comedies, but I I remember watching it in you know when I was like a teenager kid whatever, and I, it was funny then, and it might be funnier now, like because I get some of like the subtext of like oh those two characters they're they're hinting that they were sleeping together. It's just it's hilarious. It's simultaneous. It's like simultaneously like wholesome enough where like kids will get like the they're making jokes about a giant rock monster, and it's also like oh Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen had this romantic thing that turned out, and now they hate each other, right? Like it, I just I love it. It's hilarious. It's on Netflix, so everybody and their grandma basically has Netflix now, so it's free to most people to watch. But like, I absolutely love Galaxy Quest, and I will stand on a table. It's one of the funnier comedies of like that era. Interesting. I don't remember it. I think I've watched it, but it's been so long. I really don't remember much of that. Maybe I'll have to uh, have to check it out. Um, 
now that you and I both are more uh, have a greater appreciation for being washed. Uh, I <laughs> yes, I, I watched. I remedied a blind spot that I didn't necessarily realize I I had. I had never seen Matilda, um, the kind of childhood film based on the Roald Dahl books. And my wife had been goading me like, what? You've never seen it? And, you know, we each have those like where we find some cultural touchstone or piece of our our past, our youth or whatever that, that the other hasn't seen. And we, you know, say, you have to watch this now. And, you know. Nine out of ten of those, eight out of ten of those, just don't still remain blind spots. Haven't gotten remedied, but uh, due to her coaxing, um, I did finally watch it, and it's pretty good. It's it's pretty nice. It's a it's a feel good, you know, a great. I imagine it'd be great to watch with the kids one day. Um, but it is a um, I, I would call it like the chaotic good version of Dennis the Menace, um, which I recently also rewatched over the holidays and, and loved. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the trunch bowl is an epic character. The, 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 the cake eating scene. I now understand why my local bakery names their chocolate cake after that kid. Um, which I, you know, all these jokes I just didn't get. Um, but yes, my wife is, is very pleased and no longer threatening to throw me in the chokey. Um, I also watched Wolf of Wall Street, which I had not seen all the way through. And I don't know why. Like, I had obviously seen the, ooh, ooh, you know, the, the new UT fight song unofficially um, that the band plays for Matthew McConaughey scenes. And I had seen the take all the quaaludes and um, try to drive your car from the country club scene. But like, I don't think I'd seen the middle. And based on those two clips alone, I was like, okay, I think I get this movie. And I don't, it was better than that. I think when you watch the whole thing, like the, uh, the back half, it felt a little long. Like it could have been like 20 minutes shorter. Um, but it was pretty ridiculous and absurd and a great, like, uh, those movies are always fun. Cause after you get done, you immediately start Googling like what they're up to now. And it's, you know, always funny when people just do heinous things and live, you know, so outside of, of humanity and, and normal human means and then spend like three years in prison. And, and ultimately, you know, it's a slap on the wrist when uh, some people. nothing from this experience. Correct. 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 Uh, but some of it, I was like, is that true? And some of the crazier parts were true. The, the, the yacht crashing in a, in a swell uh, off the coast of Italy and some of the other things were a hundred percent true, which are interesting. Um, it was good, man. I I, I liked it. I, it's not a perfect film, but there were some some funny moments. And if you just are looking for, if you haven't like me, somehow missed that one, uh, looking for something outrageous and and just love seeing Matthew McConaughey at, at his best in a cameo and, and Leo just in his most gifable, um, gifable. Uh, Gerald, real quick, gif or gif? I'm a gif person. Yeah, I'm a gift person as well. Um, hit us in the comment or hit us in the uh, in, on Twitter if if you have other thoughts on the gift GIF, GIF uh, debate. If we but, said it uh, wrong, y- leave us a review. That's right, <laughs> but it has to be five stars in the review for us to be able to see it. The other ones don't go to our phones. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I watched t- two blind spots remedied this this past week. So I'm feeling productive. I'm shocked one that you found a. Martin Scorsese movie could have used like 20 minutes of editing. It's just <laughs> fine. Um, did you watch the new Matilda or the old Matilda? That's the point of clarity. There's like the new musical one that just came out. Then there's like the one from the 90s with Danny DeVito. It was the 90s Danny DeVito. And that is a great clarification 
education, but the the Matilda musical one. Part of the reason I, I acquiesced to watch it, um, the person who did the like the music for it uh, kept popping up in funny like TikTok songs, and I, I can't. I'm, his name is eluding me at the moment. Um, but and so that was like you know when something happens and then it gets spoken about and all of a sudden it has gravity like multiple it, that kind of all happened so it, it helped but this was the Danny DeVito uh, OG version that that was watched um, Danny DeVito just uh, stellar stellar he he plays a jerk so well he's so good great director I think it might have been his first like his directorial debut too so pretty solid mm-hmm. outing for him. Now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I want to close this out here just on a somber but but uh, maybe hopeful note. Uh, I'll, I'll just ask, right? We're Gerald, friends of 20-some-odd years. Uh, never never take any day for granted that, that you have. Uh, a lot of the news uh, that happened over the past week was Jeff Ontiveros, who was a member of the, the Longhorns for late 90s into the early 2000s baseball team. He was uh, on the 2002 National Championship team. Uh, that year, he was the first Longhorn to hit 20 home runs in a season. He was the guy who scooped up the ball on the last out, stepped on first base, threw his arms up, you know, National Championship sealed. Um his accolades stand for themselves. 55 career home runs are second, I think, only to Melendez. He's uh, still the Longhorns all-time leader in games played, starts at bats, and total bases. Um, he was 43 years old when he passed away last Friday. Um, and so it, it just was a little bit of a kind of jarring thing to learn and, 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 and to read and to see some of his teammates, uh, Houston Street and some others, um, kind of just shocked by it and say nice things about him. I mean, it it should not take uh, sudden deaths or deaths of, of friends or loved ones or people we uh, knew or supported, and, and 43 feels so young, but um, to, to to remind us to uh, to hug the ones close to you, to reach out to the ones who aren't, and to uh, uh, just cherish cherish friendships and, uh, and, and the people who are important. And so let me just say, Gerald, I love you, man. And I love that we do this podcast together and, and, uh, that, you know, as we inch on 43 years old and, and have to confront our own mortality, I'm blessed to go through this, uh, this journey with a friend like you. Life is short. Life is super short. And, um, it's, it's crazy to, to see people that you and I would kind of consider like close contemporaries that are, um, that are no longer with us. And it's just absolutely wild to, um, to see that rest in peace, but may his, may his memory be a blessing for his family. Um, and we just hope that, that, um, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his, uh, those that he loved and everybody that was touched and impacted by him. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on weird coach culture and not just if you, if you're living under a rock and you didn't see it, uh, Texas tech basketball coach, Mark Adams was dismissed, uh, not dismissed was suspended. I guess, um, currently there's an interim coach heading to, uh, the big 12 tournament with the team for a couple of incidents with a, with a, with team members, uh, members of the team that, um, culminated in him quoting, uh, a Bible verse about, about slaves obeying your masters as you serve the Lord. Um, and, and the po- point he was trying to make is like, take coaching, like respect authority. And there is a lot of biblical context missing from that. I E like one, 
this isn't the church at Ephesus, but two, like the next verse is like, bosses don't threaten your employees. So like, don't do that. Right. But really it's there, there's this mindset, um, among a lot of college college figures, you've heard of horror stories of coaches saying things like, I'll send you back to the hood um, to kids that are getting out of line. We've recently seen Deion Sanders saying the quiet part out loud about how a lot of the players that they're looking for, especially at specific positions, are players that are from underprivileged or under-resourced areas hoping to you know, grind their way out of the hood. Um, is kind of how he said it, uh, versus quarterbacks looking for stable two-parent households. There are these weird and gross underlying mindsets in a lot of uh, college athletics that, I've said it before and I'll say it again, go back to the United States' uh, history of commodifying human bodies in various ways. Um, and, and this Mark Adams thing is just another symptom of that. You know, the other incident was like he was he, he like accidentally spit on a player and really like refused to apologize for it. Said like it's his right to do that as your coach. Like there's just these weird like little things that happen um, that point to just like there is this um, mentality that's pervasive in, in athletics, specifically in sports, um, that because these people are. One, people that do physical things with their bodies, and two, we view it as entertainment for ourselves that we are cool with like dehumanizing and not giving them um, the respect they deserve. And again, this Mark Adams situation is just another symptom of that. It's so weird to see toxic personalities and cultures harbored out in, in Lubbock. It's uh, it's almost like there's no adults in the room, right? Uh, probably, you know, if Kirby Hokett's hand is forced here, but his ideal scenario would be to sweep this under the rug. Uh, I wonder if they had won more games this season, if this would have even come out like legitimately. Um, I don't know. It's just, he and beard obviously got along well for various reasons. You've seen the, uh, uh, contemptuous nature of some of their other coaches they've had, uh, specifically around baseball or excuse me, basketball, but some other sports uh, as well. And so uh, it's it's what happens when there's no adults in the room. I I would assume, but uh, yeah, just just awful. Um, love to love to see a world where uh, progress in all other areas make their way into the the sporting culture as well. Just uh, eighteen to twenty two year olds like. They can they can vote. They can serve in the army. They're they're adults, young adults, but they're adults. Like let's treat them like human adults. Um, and and doesn't have to be equals. You're the coach. You 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 in, in theory are in the chain of command. But um, I just compare it to Vic Schaefer and watching his players celebrate him as coach of the year. Like a guy who called out his team a week ago and and basically put them on blast for not having enough effort, and then watching you know him get choked up. His team celebrate joyously all around him when he won the coach of the year. There's a difference. Tough love is okay. No one's saying you can't be tough. Just, you know, humanity, having a heart behind it, the love part of the tough love is uh, is pretty crucial. John Maxwell said it really well in like the 1980s when Mark Adams was, you know, college-ish aged. It's like you have to grab a heart before you grab a hand, right? Like people can see through fakeness and they've seen through it in a lot of instances. And I think Vic Schaefer uh, is the exact opposite of that where Vic Schaefer is very tough on players, but they absolutely love him because they know that Vic Schaefer would absolutely jump in front of a train for them. And so they'll run through a wall for Vic Schaefer and we're seeing the exact opposite of that play out. Uh, we saw it play out in the men's team with, with Chris Beard and we saw it play out uh, in now in Lubbock with, uh, with Mark Adams, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. 
to follow me on Twitter, I am at GH Goodrich. Follow show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or do it. Uh, shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook him. Welcome. Texas is a basketball school.